0: Welcome to the Open House Podcast, conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, as I mentioned, uh, there's a a running debate now. It's a kind of barbecue stopper, really, about women in politics. It's certainly a debate we've been having for decades in Australia, but it's very interesting to me that it has rekindled um, on the back of a couple of pretty important events, the most important being... The unceremonious dumping by her colleagues of the Deputy Liberal Leader Julie Bishop, the fact that people had promised to vote for her for the leadership and then didn't do so, was really quite disgraceful. Now then, of course, you've had um, all manner of trouble within the Conservative parties. Uh, the pre-selection for the seat now vacated by the ex-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, well, that was won by a man, even though the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, had backed a female candidate, saying he wanted a woman in that seat. You can't, as one of the great doyens of the party, Liberal Party used to say, you can't fatten the pig on market day. Um, So it's a bit late for the brand-new Prime Minister to say, oh, yes, we'd like a woman in that seat, please. Like... The question is there about whether the Liberal Party is actually doing enough of even what it says it should be doing in educating women about how to get through the pre-selection process. Because the Liberal Party's policy is exactly that. That you give additional support to women, you help them with, um, with mentorship, uh, mentorships and so on, um, so that they will be able to, uh, do well on a merit basis within the contest. The Labour Party, nevertheless, nevertheless about what, 10 years or so ago, maybe 15, said, no, the way to go is quotas. We want to target a certain number of women, I think it's 50% or whatever it is, of women in winnable seats by a certain date. Well, it seems the quotas have actually worked because the Labor Party is on track to achieve its target and the Liberal Party clearly isn't. I just wonder what you make of all of that. One three hundred forty twenty twenty. If you'd like to speak to us about that, but let's discuss it with Professor uh, Associate Professor Andrea Carson. Andrea Carson is um, an incoming professor at La Trobe University, a political scientist and a former journalist. Welcome to Open House. Thank you. What a week it's been. What a couple of weeks it's been. And interestingly, the issue is not going away. It, it's it's really started to enter the national barbecue conversation.
1: Yes, we've had six prime ministers in 10 years and with the latest leadership spill, um, the loss of Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership, the issue of gender has really come to the fore with a group of liberal women coming out and speaking publicly about um, their dismay over the behaviour and treatment of women in the liberal side of politics and also some of them raising the question of gender quotas, which is what my research uh, examines.
0: Yeah, I'll have a look at the research with you in a moment because it's really fascinating what people have told you. But just back to the to the issue itself. Undoubtedly, um, the political process and the media cycle drives along an issue like this, especially when you've got colourful. Um, and newsworthy, you know, comments by people uh, like Julie Bishop and others. And then, of course, the other side capitalising on it. And I I did notice two two weeks or so ago, um, Julia Gillard gave a really important speech, I think, in Adelaide, talking about this same issue and saying, of, of course, well, uh, quotas work uh, and the other approach doesn't work. So there are people driving it along, but I just wonder if it's your view that there is a greater level of awareness and concern about it than just, you know, through the daily media grind.
1: Well, there appears to be. um, I think this is a watershed moment for conservative Mm. politics because of the number of former MPs and MPs who are speaking in this space, Mm. Um, particularly women who uh, often, especially when they're serving ministers, don't tend to speak out until after retirement. This has changed in this particular instance where we're seeing members such as Julia Banks, who um, has said she won't contest at the next election because of the way that women are being treated within the Liberal Party, Uh, as well as Julie Bishop, who made a monumental um, speech in a forum with Women's Weekly saying that her party is responsible for Australia's very low representation of women on global standards down to 50th from 15th in 1999.
0: Yes, and those those are the same sorts of numbers um, Julia Gillard was using. And you'd have to look back and say, just on an empirical basis, yes, the Labor Party with its contentious policy of quotas has actually achieved a greater level of equality than the Liberal Party. So there's the issue. Yeah,
1: That's right. Uh, Labor introduced quotas, party quotas, uh, in the 1990s, and since then has got very close to what it declared in 2015, which, which is that it would tried to or have an ambition to have parity within the parliament by 2020. It now has 48% of its elected representatives in the federal parliament who are women. So it's getting very close to achieving that hard target. Um, liberals, on the other hand, have supported soft targets uh, and have not met those. Its peak time for female representation was under the Howard government, Um, and it hasn't been able to retain those numbers of women since then.
0: Interestingly, there's no one, well, no one has seriously made a case that I've heard, that that there shouldn't be equality. It's really an argument about how you get there. And then, so for the Liberal Party, there's this long-held, dogmatic belief that excellence will rise to the top. But I just wonder what you think about that.
1: Yeah, well, you make the point that people don't argue against equality, but there are nuances to that argument, which I um, often hear, which is women don't have the same ambition as men to be in politics. And therefore, why should it be 50-50 if you don't have the same um, number of people coming forward? Now, I... Don't think I've seen any empirical evidence to suggest that women are less ambitious when it comes to wanting to be in politics. They may not like the way that it's played out in its current iteration – But I don't think that means that women don't want to engage with the decision-making process. So leaving that argument aside, um, you're right. I think the main contestation here is over how equality is achieved. Um, And for the Liberal Party, it's always been an argument of merit and of individualism, of judging individuals on what they bring to the pre-selection process.
0: Yes, and Scott Morrison and others were talking about that during the week as well. May the best person win. Well, I've started realising that when you're faced with endemic disadvantage of of many kinds, and we have to be careful, you know, women in the Liberal Party looking for pre-selection are, are often not disadvantaged in the way unemployed people are disadvantaged or Aboriginal people are disadvantaged, so... Acknowledging that, but when you're faced with um, decades of tradition where um, people are overlooked, perhaps you actually need to be on the front foot, and I and I wonder if there isn't a sense that we need to give unequal assistance to people in order to overcome generations of unequal opportunity.
1: Yes, well, traditionally in Australia, it's been a white male parliament. In 1973, for example, there was no women in the parliament, uh, and those numbers have increased. A little bit over time. Um, Australia has a third of its federal parliament that are women. So we have to ask the question that you've just asked of whether there's structural inequalities as to why those numbers are not even, given that women make up 50%, in fact, slightly more, of the Australian population. And studies overseas give us a hint at what some of these structural inequalities are, and that is that men have greater access to political networks. They obviously have male mentors in place that can give them advantage. Uh, It's very hard to be what you can't see and without um, a critical mass of women in high political leadership positions, there isn't that mentorship that's provided to men. And other studies have found that men have greater capacity for fundraising for election campaigns, which gives them an advantage in both the pre-selection and the election process.
0: Would that be because Uh, of their pre-existing networks?
1: That's right. It's because of their networks and also because Um, sometimes an unconscious bias to donate towards um, male candidates. And then there's other factors that come into play, which is the actual election electoral system itself in various countries can favour um, one gender over another. It's one of the reasons why we have more women in the upper house and the lower house, mm. because of the way the um, preferences flow in the upper house is more advantageous for getting women across the line.
0: Well, that's a really interesting point. Our guest is Dr. Andrea Carson. She's the incoming associate professor at La Trobe University and um, <laughs> outgoing. Going from the School of Political Science at Melbourne University, but anyway, uh, you, you're changing jobs, um, which That's is right. which is a good thing, and also a journalist by background, which is an absolutely excellent thing. Now, there's my unconscious conscious bias coming out. Andrea, tell us about the research that you did then on this issue.
1: So, with Melbourne University colleagues um, Leah Rapana and um, Jenny Lewis, Professor Jenny Lewis of the Policy Lab, we set about trying to understand unconscious bias or Australians' attitudes towards female politicians. We did a survey of 2,100 Australians and we gave... We randomly assigned half the participants into one group and half into another. The only difference between the two groups is we asked them to assess a hypothetical politician. One of the hypothetical politicians was male, the other female. And we asked a series of questions relating, identical questions about that politician relating to their likelihood of success.
0: So just to go back on that for a moment, did you have, for example, mocked up press releases and news articles and that sort of thing?
1: we had a vignette Um, we kept it to a minimum of 114 words in order to not have confounding factors such as party id and things like that Mm -hmm. coming into the way that people were evaluating the candidate and what we found is that um, the results were largely partisan that progressive voters or those who vote on the left side of politics see the number one obstacle um, in politics being gender And that wasn't the case for those on the right side of politics. And this is consistent with the way the two different political parties also identify gender or not and have put in place measures to increase female participation because, to spell it out, the Labor Party does see gender as an issue. It has implemented quotas. And because the Liberal Party doesn't see gender as being an obstacle for political success, it doesn't have forced quotas. And we see this reflected in the um, worldviews of their voters.
0: Okay, so you're saying that Liberal National Party voters are more inclined to display a bias towards male representation and male leadership than Labor voters and Green voters. Is that what you're saying? Yes,
1: that is what I'm saying. We also found that when you ask overtly whether um, voters think there should be more women in politics... They, regardless of party, Australians answer yes. So it's not an overt sexism that's occurring here. It's more unconscious attitudes about what makes for leadership and what makes for leadership success, and that's where gender comes into play.
0: Well, we enter the yeah we enter the realm of cultural acuity and our expectations and norms and you know what we, what we expect to see. Do you think? Liberal voters are more used to seeing male leadership and therefore are unconsciously drawn towards that. Is that your conclusion?
1: Well, other studies overseas have found that, that um, leadership traits are linked to men. Uh, we didn't... Well, we, we're getting a sense of that too. Our findings are consistent with that. And that when we uh, ask people their demographic details, who they vote for, it is those on the right of side of politics Mm -hmm. that are more drawn to putting a man into a leadership position, but also at the same time not seeing that gender could be an obstacle that might limit a female's success.
0: There's a subsequent question there for me then about what it is that we think leadership is about or what leadership looks like, and I don't mean physically looks like, um, or their gender characteristics, but what behaviours and attitudes um, we think leadership what is leadership what what kinds of leadership support we expect
1: yeah well that's a great question and your introductory comments uh, were about the events of the last two weeks and in that time we've seen male um, MPs liberal MPs come out and have been critical of Julia Banks saying that she won't recontest at the next election, saying it's part of the rough and tumble of politics that mm. they need, that women need to toughen up if they they can't deal with the robust discussion and debates that go on. Which I think was really a proxy for saying the bullying, which is what Julia Banks called it. But That's right. in any case, it goes to your point that maybe uh, politicians, different gendered politicians, too, see leadership in very different ways. Some see it as normalised to have what a new Professor um, Marion Sawyer calls gladiatorial politics, where you do have that very adversarial, um, uh, hostile opposition, And others might think that there's another way to have leadership that's more consensual and doesn't involve that level of conflict. Now, I wouldn't like to say that necessarily (laughs) falls strictly down gender lines, but I do think it raises the question that leadership means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that's coming through in the ways that our politicians have responded to the leadership spill.
0: Yes, indeed. Andrea Carson is with us, Associate Professor uh, incoming to La Trobe University, a political scientist and a journalist. Andrea, just let's explore for a minute or two this question. Then I've spent years pondering this question. How could we morph the culture of our parliaments? Because when you sit there on the floor of the parliament and you're engaged in the contest, you understand, without a shadow of a doubt, that the Westminster system that pits two tribes against each other, essentially, um, forces you into a structure of conflict. Mm -hmm. Now look, it's true that so much good work goes on in committees and behind the scenes and people kind of get on, but at the end of the day it's about winning, has to be about winning, because the majority forms government and government is where all the prizes are. So I just wonder whether the more collaborative style that I think we get, you know, any board that I'm on that, that, that involves women in a serious way, just... Seems to be able to do things in a better way. I'm going to say it. Some people might think that that itself is a sexist gendered comment, but I, I just think there are ways of there are ways of being leaders um, that we're not tapping properly. But here's the question: in all of that, are we not indeed looking at something that's not just uh, philosophical but structural, that our system itself almost forces us into this conflicted? masculine, male-dominated style of 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 operation?
1: I think what you're saying is true, and I think there's probably two points to make there. The first is that the Westminster system covers both, obviously, Liberal and Labor, and yet Labor have found a way to be able to deal with that adversarial system, but also increase female representation within the Australian Parliament. Yeah, so but doesn't show- that still...
0: Is that really the point, though? Do we still want the highly... Because, I mean, it's it's wrong to say, isn't it, Andrea, that the Labor Party doesn't involve bullying. They've got institutionalised bullying through the factional system.
1: I'm sure they have, but the point I'm making is that Uh, it's not straight down gender lines that women have one way of doing politics or not. Women can participate in this particular form that we currently have in Australia and we can increase female participation. So I think that reduces the argument that we need to have a completely different style of um, an electoral system in order to, or parliamentary system in order to attract more women. Mm. But to the other point, (laughs) if you look at um, uh, democracies that have coalition governments or have mixed member representation yeah, across yeah, different political yeah. parties, there's much more consensus building that needs to go on in negotiation. The German parliament, the New Zealand parliament are examples of that. And without having studied those um, that closely, I'd be interested to see whether their style of debate mm. are quite different from what we see where we do have a two major party majoritarian
0: yeah, majority. Yes, that that would be worth following up. And just uh, just to close on this, perhaps, but I'd make the point that the authoritarian style of leadership doesn't suit all men either. It really isn't a male-female thing. And you know, many men in politics have been bullied and feel bullied and don't don't want to play the game that way. And I'm really quite sure there are many really capable men who have either not gone into politics or left politics because they just got sick of the game as well.
1: Well, we've had a recent example of that. Without raising the question of bullying, may, um, perhaps other reasons. I think family reasons were cited. The member for Labor, member for Perth, um, recently resigned, saying that um, his dream of politics wasn't realised by being in the parliament and wanted to spend time with his young family. So that. Speaks to perhaps um, Hmm. something about the culture Hmm. of politics. It's not just something that's unique to to the experiences of women, but also for male politicians.
0: Yeah. Look, that's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much for your time tonight. Oh, thank you. It's Professor Andrea, Associate Professor Andrea Carson, um, who will start work soon at the La Trobe University, formerly at Melbourne University, and a former journalist as well with the ABC in. Um, in Victoria. So um, from texter 188, I think quotas are a great idea. If the Liberal Party was really about the most experienced, deserves the job, then Julie Bishop would be in, but she wasn't given a chance, mainly, I think, because she is female. Quotas are important. The current system is not working well. So try involving more women and let's see what happens it can't get worse but it may just improve research shows that governments such as those in Scandinavia who have more gender balance in leadership have better outcomes overall thank you for that text i agree i think it's a great uh, it's a great shame that uh, julie bishop was not given the chance to le- at leadership of course she may yet uh, have that chance uh, because she's decided to stay in and there's every indication that she'll have another crack at it and i think she should so there's there's the whole issue about Julie Bishop as a very capable um, minister. She's probably one of the best foreign ministers we've had, certainly in my lifetime. So, you know, a very, very good foreign minister, a very, very good um, diplomat, and some of those skills would equip her really well for leadership. We also used to deal with her. We, when I say we, my colleagues and I in the school movement used to deal with her when she was the Minister for Education. And, you know, she's very sharp. She is very, very sharp, completely on top of all the details of her portfolio, and she would make a good leader in her own right. What I'm about to say is that I also think it's in the national interest to have a really successful female Prime Minister because we cannot let the dreadful experience of Julia Gillard... The, what she was put through, I mean, we cannot let that be the lasting memory of what having a female leader is about. I think she was also a good Prime Minister. And as I've said on this program before, we also used to deal with her as Minister for Education and as Prime Minister. And I thought she was a very good leader in that respect. And she always treated us extremely well as just one, you know, one sector interest group, Christian schools in that case, that she treated well. I'm sure she treated others very well also. But the way she was dealt with as a female leader of our country was appalling. And we can't let that be the last thing we say about female prime ministers in this country. We just can't let that happen again. So, for a bunch of reasons, I thought it was really disappointing. Julie Bishop was not given the chance for leadership. But as I say, she may yet have that chance. You're an open house around us. Discover more open house podcasts at
1: au.